Good morning, everyone. Um, We're here at our second sermon in our series of four promises we find in John's Gospel. And um, because we only have one really short one-verse reading today, um, you'll be able to see in your news about it. We're going to get straight into it. Um, But in the context of that one verse, we see uh, the famous age-old question being asked. We see a group of people coming to Jesus and wondering, who is Jesus? Uh, Who is he? And we see, looking back throughout history, this is the most important question that anyone has ever asked. This question has shaped our entire world. Wars have been fought over this singular question. Global politics has changed again and again and again because of this question. Who is Jesus? But it doesn't only change our world on a global scale. This question also changes lives at the most deepest individual level as well. This question and your answer to it changes your soul and your heart. This changes from the inside out. But as we see in this gospel, people don't ever have mild responses to Jesus. Jesus is wildly polarizing because Jesus says crazy things. Jesus says huge things. The magnitude of the statements that Jesus makes forces people to make a decision about him. He doesn't let people be comfortable In our one verse today, Jesus is going to force us to make a decision about him. He's going to make you decide who you think Jesus really is. Because he's going to say something huge. So today's reading is just one verse, and here it is on the screen. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. So today we're going to look at those two statements, kind of break it in half. We're going to first look at what it means that Jesus is the light of the world and then look at that promise. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So before we get into the context and everything, let's just pray together. Lord God, in these next moments, help us to be still and listen to your voice. May we be sensitive to your spirit stirring in us. I just want to ask that we would know you and hold fast to this beautiful promise. Amen. So I think it's uh, primarily fascinating that we have four different accounts of Jesus' life. We have these four different Gospels. And it's kind of interesting how they overlap and interact with each other because John's Gospel is by far the most unique account that we have. Uh, If we look at this kind of Venn diagram, I hope it's not too small, uh, we kind of see the synoptic Gospels. In Bible college, they taught us that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, are all kind of uh, grouped together because they're very similar. Uh, they've got a lot of overlap in structure and content in them. But when we look at John's gospel, almost 92% of John's gospel is completely unique. John has his own plan in mind. And this makes sense, right? Because if we think about it, if, we, if I asked you all to write an account of Larry's life, we would have different stories. We would come up with different things. Maybe Rick would finish first and a guy would grab Rick's account and add a few little stories to it. Maybe uh, someone else over here would realize that they've written that side, so I'll write my own thing. I'll write those different bits that the other guys missed. Maybe someone would have a really specific idea that really stuck with them. Maybe a sermon really stuck with them and they wanted to talk about that one idea. Because whenever we talk, we all have our own focuses. We all have ideas that we are particularly passionate about. But here we see in John's gospel that he's particularly passionate about two key things. There's lots of things, but I'm going to focus on two of them. And the first thing that John is particularly interested in is this idea of life. John again and again and again comes back to this idea of life. What does it mean to have life? 
And we see John use this word life about 36 times in his gospel, where the other three gospels use it in total about 16 times. John uses it almost three times, or two times as many times as the rest of them do in their entirety. And we have some key verses here. We see Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus says, this water will give, uh, this water that I give will become a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. Jesus says that I am the bread of life. Jesus says in 1010, this is a famous verse, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And that final one there, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are all Jesus' statements, but John's collecting them together and focusing on this particular idea. John really wants us to consider what does it mean to have life. And John's other focus is belief. Again, John uses the word belief almost a hundred times. That's so many times, right? The whole Bible uses the word about 300 times. So one third of all of the Bible's uses of this word is in John alone. That's huge if we think about it. John really is interested in this combination of belief and life. And we see it here in the the famous John 3.16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John wants us to think about this combination of belief and life. And it's again here in our, uh, it's explicitly mentioned in his uh, kind of final statement at the end. John tells us the explicit purpose of him writing. John says that these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. At the end of John's gospel, he doesn't want you to be guessing. He wants to make it really explicit. This is why I have written all these things. And finally, in our reading today, we have this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Life is obviously explicitly there, but whoever believes in me is pretty much the same thing as believes, right? Whoever follows me, sorry, is pretty much the same as beliefs, right? John wants us to know that belief isn't some abstract thing that we feel sometimes, but it's a doing word. Whoever follows me, that's what belief means. So we're here and we're right in John's focus. This is what John's gospel is all about. These two key words are here. And this is John's focus of his gospel, but the strategy he uses is kind of different to this. The strategy he uses to get us to believe and have life is that he wants to present Jesus to us. He wants to show us who Jesus is. So we're going to quickly touch on John's strategy. John's One of key features of John's gospel is he has this strategy of presenting seven I am statements of Jesus. Seven ways that G- Jesus says I am something. And here they are. Jesus says I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Today's focus. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. John gives us these seven little pictures to make the big picture really clear. And when we see the big picture, he's hoping that we will believe and have life in his name. Does that make sense? So today we're going to be looking at one of these key pictures. We're going to be looking at that key one, I am the light of the world. Because these little pictures help us to get the big focus. You following me? Cool. So right at this moment, right now, we're going to look at why it's significant that John shows us that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What does that little statement mean so that we can have belief and that we can have life in his name. I've been learning that I think God gives us a lot of physical realities so that we can understand bigger spiritual ones. 
Does that make sense? God gives us a lot of physical realities so we can understand bigger spiritual ones. Like working out in the gym is kind of like working out spiritually sometimes. And in Romans 1, Paul tells us this, and I'm just going to read it to you. For since, the, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. God has given us this physical world so that we can understand something about who he is. And this imagery of light is used again over and over in the Bible, all over the place, because it's a powerful parallel. The physical reality is a powerful parallel to the spiritual one. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world because he's the spiritual light of the world as well. So let's just stop and think about the nature of light together. Light does lots of different things, but if we think about it, light is so instinctively important to us. Can any of you ever wish that we didn't have daytime? Imagine how awful that would be, that we lived in this eternal darkness. It would be pretty miserable, right? But if you actually think about it, there's parts of the world that have seasons that are like this. My little brother went to Iceland a couple of years ago, and he was over there during their winter, and the sun rose at 11.30 and set at 3.30. That's crazy, right? The sun had, was out in the sky for about four hours. It kind of like just dipped above the horizon and then sunk again. Four hours of light. Of light. And in Scandinavia and these kinds of countries, there's been a lot of research going in to understanding how strong things like depression are in these kinds of seasons instinctively at a gut level, I think we all know this. I don't think this is surprising. There's something about the sun and life that are so connected in our lives. When there's no sun, people get sad and feel that sense of death in their life. And I don't think this is surprising to us, right? Because I think when we know and we feel and we understand the importance of light, it's really clear. So I'm going to focus on three little aspects of light in this moment. These three aspects that I want to focus on, and obviously we could talk about a lot of other ones, is that light illuminates, it purifies, and it creates growth. These are three spiritual, physical parallels that I want to look at together. So the first one, light illuminates. Uh, This is really obvious, right? We can see each other in this room right now because we have lights on. If there was no lights on, it would be pretty hard to see each other. At nighttime, we need lights to be able to see. Uh, this is the most obvious parallel, and, and Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world because he is the spiritual thing that allows us to see. Uh, I love old hymns, and I love Amazing Grace, and that one line in it, I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus is the light of the world because he gives us spiritual sight. So foundationally, this is a, a beautiful thing. Without Jesus, we are blind. In Proverbs 4.19, it says this, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This is what Jesus is telling us. Without him, we can't see things clearly. He is the light of the world. And the converse is obviously, like we sung just earlier, like we said at the start of the service, that his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Jesus illuminates our world, allows us to see At the very foundational level, this is huge. But number two, light also purifies. 
I think this one's maybe a bit less obvious to us, especially in our modern culture. Um, a little while ago, I was really lucky, and I got to spend about 10 weeks in Nepal. And uh, Nepal, obviously, a third-world kind of country. They don't have clean water like we do. Uh, a tap doesn't just spurt out clean drinking water. And in order to survive, you need to work out, how do I purify my water? Uh, we learned lots of different ways to purify water, but one of the most simplest and easiest and cheapest is literally to put water in a see-through container and put it in the sun. After about six hours, the UV rays start breaking apart the dangerous microbes and that water becomes safe to drink. It's kind of amazing if we think about it, but that's exactly what Jesus does on a spiritual level. Spiritual exposure to Jesus purifies us. It actually cleans us from the inside out. Jesus actually makes us clean. Uh, we see this in Colossians 1, 21 to 22. Once we were alienated from God and we were enemies uh, but now he has reconciled you through Christ's physical body, through his death, to present you holy. You're presented holy through Jesus, without blemish and free from all accusation. Jesus actually spiritually purifies us. I think that is beautiful. I think that is amazing. Jesus is the light of the world because he illuminates, but he also purifies. And the last one here. Jesus' light creates growth. I think in year 10 science or something, I was blown away to hear about the process of photosynthesis. Uh, I don't know how many of you can put up your hand and say, yes, I know exactly what photosynthesis is, or some people. But on a foundational level, all life on our planet is entirely dependent on light. Our, our plants have this crazy thing in them that they eat light, essentially, and then turn it into energy. They live off light, we all know that if the light stopped working, then the plants would die, the animals would die, and humans would very quickly die. All of life on earth is because there's light, because the plants are able to photosynthesize. And we see this on a founder in the spiritual level here in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says that he planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's God who gives growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives growth. All of life on earth, all of growth on earth, everything is because God gives it. Jesus is the light of the world because through his light we have growth. I think that's amazing. Jesus is the light of the world because he illuminates, he purifies, and he gives life itself. If you're a Christian in this place... I, these are exciting truths. This is beautiful. I, I, I talk about this and it makes me excited. I can't help but getting excited about who Jesus is, that he does all these things. I wonder if you sit on this regularly, if you allow this to well up excitement in your life, to know Jesus as the light of the world who does these things for you. Because Jesus came to be the light of the world, but as our verse continues, there's actually more than that as well. This passage isn't simply about who Jesus is, but your response to him. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. How are you responding to Jesus? Because John saw the first-hand responses that Jesus had. John saw the immediate response that someone saw Jesus talking and saw what they did. He saw what they did and he wanted us to know. He wanted us to know that there's one option that's life and there's one option that isn't. 
As we read through these Gospels, we see these two groups becoming ever differentiated. There's the group that is willing eventually to die for Jesus, and there's the group that wants to kill him. There's some that continue to walk in darkness, and there's some that believe and have life. I wonder if you can see those kinds of people in your life. If you can picture who those kinds of people that are walking in darkness and walking in light. And not just that picture for other people, but can you see it in your own life? Can you see it in yourself, the the places in your life that feel dark and heavy and, and lifeless and dead? Can you see the parts of your life that feel bright and joyful and and life-filled. I think it's really powerful imagery because here's the promise again, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. This promise is saying that whenever we follow him, no matter what it seems like at first, no matter how hard it is, it won't lead to darkness but it will lead to life. When we follow Jesus' paths, they're paths of life and light. There are a thousand choices that we all make in our lives every single day. But when we choose God's way, no matter what it seems like at first, how hard it is, whatever, it's going to lead to life. That is a beautiful promise. That is an exciting promise. God's ways are good. They're full of life for us. Just like we talked about, these pathways illuminate things. They purify us. They bring growth to our lives. And I wonder, have you experienced this for yourself? Because I think we can all sit here and academically say, yes, this is good, this is true. Uh, I think a lot of us would have walked in the door and affirmed, before I'd said any of this, yeah, I think that there's certain ways of living that lead to death and there's certain ways of living that lead to life. I think that we all instinctively know these things. But here's the challenge for you. Do your belief that this is true line up with your actions? I think it's so easy to sit in a place like this and in a clear-headed, easy moment to agree that things like pornography and lies and hatred and jealousy, selfishness, are all things that lead to death. But then when we leave this place and get into our busy lives, how quickly does darkness fill our lives? I don't know if you can relate with me, but I know darkness quickly gets in there. I'm learning that life is fast, that most of my decisions in life feel almost reactionary rather than a conscious decision. That there's like a lot of things going on and most of it just kind of flows out of me. I'm learning that there's also slower, clearer moments in life. Moments like right now where we can stop and actually think, where we can consider, where we have a clear mind. And then there's the moments that are quick and distracted where we don't have a clear mind, Right? So I'm considering how do we start making our big decisions, our busy decisions, in those slower, clearer moments. For me, I uh, blogged about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm working out what does it mean to live a a life that I have leadership over, where I'm actually deciding intentionally what I'm doing. When those busy moments come, I have an idea solid of what I want my decisions to be. For me, this has looked like writing a personal vision for my life. This has looked like writing down a a list of what kind of decisions do I think it takes for me to actually follow him, to be really intentional about it. Because like I said, I I think we need to take advantage of these slow, clearer moments to, to set up a plan, to set up guidelines, to set up some structure for those quicker, faster, more busy moments. And I won't pretend like it's easy. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. Living purposefully, living intentionally is really hard. So my question for you is, do you think it's worth it? 
is it worth it? Is it worthwhile living Jesus' way that's harder sometimes? Or is it worthwhile just living however and ending up in darkness? I think I, I know the answer to that, but it looks like practical things, right? Every morning when we wake up, is it worthwhile creating some discipline in our lives to not go to our phones or to the TV or to a computer or a newspaper, whatever it is, but instead find paths of life to create discipline to actually focus on helpful things? Is it worth finding some accountability to help us in this process, to find a mentor, whatever it is? Is it worth ending habits that we know are bad and actually making some effort to find some good habits instead? Because I think all these answers are completely dependent on, uh, first, who we think Jesus is. Do we actually think that he's the light of the world? Do we actually think that his pathways are the ones that lead to eternal life and all the other ones aren't actually the life, the death? Do we actually think that? Because I'm not asking you just to trust me. I'm asking you, do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus, the one that came into this world to illuminate, to purify, to create growth? Do you trust that Jesus who says, follow me? And if you follow me, when you follow me, you won't end up in darkness. You will find the light of life. Do you trust that Jesus? Because he wants to invite you on this journey of increasing intimacy with him. And if you want to accept this invitation, what are you going to do right in this moment to resolve to live that way, to resolve to follow him? Maybe there's a habit in your mind that you know is actually leading to death. What are you going to resolve to do to kill that habit? What practice are you going to find that helps you follow him every single day? to remind you every single morning? And what conversation, maybe after this right now, you want to have a conversation with someone that's going to help you take one step, one step towards living in this pathway rather than the old ones of death. Let me just finally finish on this last idea. I think the most important and the most exciting things that happen in my life are these moments of awakening and of surrender. These moments of awakening when I feel like God's spoken about something. When I feel I hear God's voice speaking into something. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Maybe you're aware that there's this habit that I think God is saying to me, yeah, maybe that is actually stopping me from enjoying him. There's these moments of awakening where I hear that finally. But then there's also the moments of surrender where we finally actually listen and do it. There's those moments where we're actually willing to put our own will aside and say, yeah, I think your way is better. I wonder if you're having a moment of awakening right now and can you turn that into a moment of surrender? Because I really feel like in this moment, Jesus is wanting to shine light into people's lives, to illuminate things, to purify things, to create growth in places that were maybe feeling a bit dead. I'm about to pray and if the band can come up, that'd be great. But I really want to encourage you to hold fast to this verse, this promise this knowing who Jesus is as the light of the world. I really want to encourage you to invite him to start following his way. But I want to ask, are you willing right now in this moment to surrender and join his way? Let me just pray. Thank you, God, that you came to earth and revealed yourself as the light of the world. Help us to know you clearly and to treasure your promises. 
Let your people find rest in these beautiful promises. Let us find rest in you, God. May we follow your example. As you shine light into our lives, let us be lights into this world.